All right, so last Sunday, we took a look at God is our loving Father, and we, hi- we highlighted three things. Now, these are not the only three things about God's love. Uh, I want to be careful to say that, but we looked at three key ways that we see God's love on display through the story of what we commonly refer to as the prodigal son. But last Sunday, we said maybe a better title would be the story of the loving Father. And so we looked at how he gives us freedom, One of the primary ways he shows love towards us is that he gives us freedom. He gives us the ability to make choices and decisions. We can only experience love because he's given us the freedom to say no to it. And yet he took that risk because he determined it was worth it for us to know and experience love, to have freedom. Not only does he love us by giving us freedom, he loves us by by running towards us to redeem us. And so when things are broken down, when our relationship falls apart, his love is on display in that he makes the first move towards us to reconcile and redeem. And then ultimately, we see the Father's love in the fact that his presence is always available. He will even pursue us the way he pursued the elder brother to convince us to join the party, to convince us to come live in his love and share it with others. So his desire for us is that we could learn firsthand from him how to give and receive love. That's his desire for us. So as we move into this this morning, you know, more and more in this series, we're going to discover ways that he's fathering us. And some of those ways feel great. You know, I, I love it when, when I'm a kid and I'm, I'm sad or I'm sick or I'm hurting. Like there's no place you want to be except for in mom or dad's arms. I mean, when, whenever I've been ill as an adult, I still kind of go back to that childlike place of like, I just want to crawl into bed and get in that fetal position. And it's like, hey, Amy, you want to just make me some chicken soup and <laughs> just kind of baby me a little bit? Like, and th- there are times where he does that. He longs to gather us like a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wing. So he does that. But listen, there's other times where what's needed is for, for our father to set some things straight. And so it is essential this morning that we understand that the foundation for the way that God fathers us is his love. That's the foundation. It's not just like that's the foundation and sometimes he sets that aside and does other things. Even some of the most difficult things he will do in our lives, they're actually rooted and grounded in his love for us. And so... I hope that we can, we can grab a hold of that this morning as we move into this. So um, we're going to look at John chapter 15. It's one of my favorite passages. It's funny because I feel like it's come up a lot in the last year as we've looked at some different, just some different series that we've been in as a church. Um, but I just felt like it was essential to look at verses 9 through 13 this morning because Jesus is telling us about this love we are being invited into in a relationship with his father. And he's saying, hey, I experienced great love with my father, and I want you to experience the same thing. And so check this out, John chapter 15, verse 9. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. That sounds great. Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Oh, (laughs) this might be difficult sometimes. 
there might be some things God asks me to do, in fact, command me to do. Commandments, those are a thing, those exist. There's instructions that my father might give me, but they're connected to learning to live in his love. He's using the word abide. There are things that might stretch us and grow us and be difficult for us. Things he just tells us to do sometimes, but they are rooted in the fact that he is teaching us to live in his love. Verse 11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you. How cool is that? If you're anything like me, when I hear the word obey, the word that immediately comes to mind is not joy. That, that's not the word that came into my mind as a kid. It's still not the word that comes into my mind when I feel like my father in heaven is challenging me in some area. I don't think, wow, what a joyful moment this is about to be. But, but Jesus is saying, hey, take me at my word here. I, this is for your sake to experience the love of God and to, that you may have this joy. And look, it's not just a little bit of joy and that your joy may be full. He wants to enrich our lives with fullness of joy. Verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Oh, so I don't just have to learn how to love God. I have to learn how to love all these other people too. Awesome. That'll be easy. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Y'all, we live in a world that is desperate for love. And we live in a world that likes to talk about love. We idealize it in romantic movies. Um, we talk about how, you know, we sing songs about it. All the world needs is love. And it's this, it's this emotional thing. But we don't often stop to reflect on what we mean when we say all we need is love. What does it actually mean? And so the father who is love... We saw it on display last Sunday. The father who in his very nature is love is now telling us, I want to teach you what love looks like. I want to invite you to experience it and receive it from me. And I want you to learn to live this out, to receive it and give it. And he says, the best way I can describe to you what love really looks like is like when a friend lays down his life for another. The best description of love he can give is a love that's sacrificial. Let me give you an example of this. There are many. One of them is marriage. When, when I enter a covenant relationship with my wife, my wife Amy here, we made some vows to each other. And one of those vows was this idea of forsaking all others. When I say yes to this love relationship, I am saying no to all other women that I have met before and that I will meet in the future and that who will ever live. I'm saying no to all of that in order to say yes to this. Now, you could argue most women have already said no to me, so it's not that big of a sacrifice. <laughs> but the point remains, if, if I'm going to be in a real love relationship with my wife, one of the primary ways I honor that is that it's exclusive. There is something special and exclusive. 
guess what? That's sacrificial. And the longer you're married, the more you will recognize that that is sacrificial. It's also beneficial, joyful, wonderful, but there's sacrifice. To say yes to things that are good means saying no to other things. Listen, when we moved to Knoxville, we were excited. We said yes to Knoxville. You know we said no to? Everywhere else. I, you know where I've always wanted to live? By the beach. We would go on vacation for years down to the, the panhandle in Florida, and we would just joke, like, Rosemary Beach really needs a grace chapel. How great would that be? How sacrificial would it be of us to move down to Rosemary Beach and start a church there? No, like, like we, we, we felt called to Knoxville. We said yes to Knoxville. It means saying no to the beach, other than maybe once a year. Um, parenting. Good night. Talk about a wonderful love relationship. It's got its own unique benefits. But if you choose parenting and you say yes to having kids, you know what? You're saying no to ever having a good night's sleep ever again for the rest of your life. You're saying no to some things. <laughs> Spoken like a man with two kids at home under the age of like, how, how old is two? Are they both under two? Two and a half? I don't know. 21 months and three months. There you go. You're doing more sleeping than your wife? Yeah, it was always like that in my house too. Babe, they need you. <laughs> Listen, you know, I'm, I'm picking some examples that we can laugh at, but the truth is the relationships that matter the most, when it, when it really boils down to loving well, the truth is sacrifice is involved. And God is honest with us about that. And clearly, he's telling us this is something we need to learn. It doesn't come natural. He says, there are, there are things I'm teaching you, I'm showing you, there are things my father has commanded that I want you to start putting those into practice. This is something you have to learn to get better at, to grow in. It's clearly something that we need to learn. He equates love to following the Father's commands. Listen, this is, I, I believe this is part of what the writer of Proverbs is talking about in Proverbs 21.2 when he says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. There are times where I'm actually convinced I've got love figured out. And I know the right way to love in any given circumstance. But the reality is, it's my Father in heaven who understands what real love is like. And it's my Father in heaven who wants to guide me into all truth, where I can learn to love well the way he would have me to love. And so there's something that only he can see. Only the Lord weighs the heart. It's so easy to fall for our own thoughts and ideas on what love is. We've developed our own. We're saturated by them in our culture. We've even got a few of our favorite verses that are magnets on the, on the fridge. Probably more of the, the verses about love that don't require as much. You know, the ones that are a little more full, full of mercy and grace and not the ones that are calling us to die to ourselves and pick up our cross and follow him. The truth is, God wants to teach us how to love and we need more direction from him than, than we often are honest with ourselves about. And so let's learn to love from him.
Now, I want to I wanna take some time this morning to, to look back at a story. So a week or two ago, we talked a little bit about Adam and Eve in the garden and the fall and God's kind of interaction with them there. But I want to look this morning at the first kids who were ever born. Do you ever think about that? Like we really have a lot more in common with Cain and Abel than we do with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve experienced something, man, I have no idea what Adam experienced, like getting formed out of the ground and God breathing life into him and Eve being taken from his side. Like what a, what a miraculous story. But Cain and Abel, they were born. And how did God walk out a love relationship with them? Now, unfortunately, many of you are already like, oh, man, what a downer, Jake. I know the end of the story. One kills the other. One kills the other. But let's, let's approach this this morning with some fresh eyes and not skip in our minds to the end of the story. All right? So, Adam and Eve. Now, remember, we, we don't know how much time has passed or when time started. Another conversation for another day. But we don't know how much time has passed since the fall. Okay? But what we do know is that Adam and Eve were told some things that were going to be difficult, and they were promised some things for the future, including Eve being told that it was from her seed that a Savior would come. And so you have to put yourself in Eve's mindset, okay? They move out of the garden. They're out there struggling on their own. She gets pregnant. She has a child. What's she thinking? The promise is fulfilled, she never imagined all of us. I feel pretty confident in saying that. There's the son. Check this out. How do I, how do I know this? Verse 1 of Genesis chapter 4. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. She's saying, here he is. Here's the one. Here's the solution to all this. How's God going to redeem this? She's filled with joy, with hope. Listen, at, at every birth, there's this, this picture of hope and new life and anything is possible with this life. There's anticipation of what the future might hold. But she's looking for something specific from Cain. The story continues. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. So new life brings hope. Here's Cain on the scene. And now these boys have grown and they appear to have moved into some adulthood. And now they're working. They're, they're, they're doing the very things God said you would do. They're working the ground and they're taking care of animals. And they're, they're moving on in life. Now check this out. Verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. I want to highlight a couple of things here. I, I don't know, we don't know the full depth of how these guys knew to make sacrifices to God. We, we don't know where all of this came from. We can draw some ideas. But I think it's interesting that right at the very start of humanity, God is already instilling this concept of sacrifice. And he's connecting it 
with relationship, with relationship with him. And so these two boys know that there's an element of sacrifice in this love relationship with God, and so they practice bringing sacrifice to him, an offering to him. And so we see this kind of already on display. God's connecting relationship with sacrifice right here at the beginning. And Look how Cain responds to this. In some form or fashion, the offering he, bought, he brought didn't measure up. We, I don't know why. Maybe it was leftovers. Maybe he was supposed to be bringing an animal, not fruit. We don't, we don't know the full explanation there. But in some way, it wasn't a true sacrifice. It was an act. It was for show. It was in ritual and routine only. It wasn't a sacrifice in reality. And so somehow, some way, Cain realizes God didn't accept his sacrifice. He's downcast. He's hurt. He's frustrated. This is a critical moment in Cain's life right here. When the moment of disappointment, discouragement, falling short... When that moment comes, we're all at a critical moment. This part is inevitable. I believe that. I believe at some point Abel was going to screw up with his sacrifice and fall short. I believe that because all fall short. We've all sinned. And so this part, this moment is inevitable. So the question is, what happens in this moment? In this moment where correction is needed, where we've gotten off course, how does God respond and how do we respond? Let's take a look at this. Watch, watch how God interacts with Cain here. Verse 6. So remember, Cain, is, he's angry. His face has fallen. He's downcast. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are, your, are you angry and why has your face fallen? Think about why you're upset right now. Are you mad at me? Are you frustrated with your brother who's making you look bad? Or are you angry for the right reason? Are, are you angry because you're, you're able to look in the mirror and recognize your fault, your error? Why are you angry? He's, he's calling him to reflect on what his motivation is. Is it a self-focused motivation or is it other-centered? My brother's making me look bad. God's rejected me. I didn't measure up for some reason. Verse 7, God says, listen, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Buddy, there is chance for redemption here. The choice is before you. You can choose to, cor to correct course here. And you'll, you're accepted. You're loved. You're my son. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Listen, God is both warning Cain and correcting him. He's giving him a word of warning. Sin is after you. It's crouching at your very door. Its desire is for you, but I'm giving you some instruction. You can recognize what's happening in this moment and respond. Change. You can have a shift. And so he's, he's inviting him to consider his path. 
Listen, God is pointing out the problem and communicating the potential danger. And unfortunately, Cain does what we do. I I don't necessarily mean murder. But he's downplaying and minimizing his sin. He's identifying the problem as being somewhere else. God's treating me unfairly. My brother is putting me in this bad position by making me look this way. So there's, there's envy, there's jealousy, there's anger. He's looking outwardly instead of hearing God's call, which is pay attention to the real issue. Sin is at your door. And for thousands of years since, we've done everything to look for every reason and every excuse to identify why we're feeling the way that we're feeling why life is going the way that it's going, except for just being honest and looking at what's right at our door. There's the problem. There it is. It's right there. And its desire is for you. Now, I believe it's important for us to understand the visual, the imagery that God is giving. Because I think it will give us a healthy understanding of why God takes this issue of sin so seriously. And why he invites us to recognize that our natural leaning, our natural bent is self-focused. Even even when we love, we often do it for what we're going to get. And so God's saying, pay attention to this, Cain. And so he uses this imagery. He says, sin is crouching at your door and its desire is for you. Now, I'm going to try to be careful how I communicate this, but we need to hear what this is saying. These words that are describing what sin wants to do, they're describing two things. Number one, it's describing um, an animal, a beast that would be like a carnivore, a beast that would want to prey on you like a cat or like a bear or something that's crouching and waiting to spring and devour you. Sin is like an animal that wants to latch on to you and destroy you. But it's more than that. He also said sin has a desire for you. This this word is used throughout scripture to describe the way a man would desire a woman physically. The picture here is that sin wants to eat you alive and have its way with you. And guess what it will produce if you let it? It gives birth to death. He loves us enough to be real with us about the issue of sin. It's not a small thing. It's not a simple thing. It's not a harmless thing that doesn't really hurt anybody. It's not, oh, this is just kind of my issue. No. More than we could ever know or understand or realize when we allow sin to sink its claws in, to sink its teeth in, its desire is for us to destroy us and rip us off and give birth to all kinds of things that are destructive. It may not ever lead you to murder. In fact, it probably won't. Yet how many things in our lives die as a result of our sin? How many marriages have died as a result of sin? How many relationships fall apart and are broken as a result of sin? 
how many relationships carry on for long periods of time, but there's no health in them. There's no wholeness in them. There's a void. There's a wall. Because sin is working its destructive power. Guys, God loves us enough to tell us the truth. And he says, Cain, buddy, you're at a critical moment here. I love you, son. And this might seem like this sacrifice, loving me sacrificially, might seem like it's not that big of a deal. And in your own mind, you might even be justifying, I've sacrificed a lot. I gave you some of my crops. I gave you some of my stuff. No, no, I defined for you what sacrificial love looks like. And you've broken that. And so I'm coming alongside of you to correct you and bring you back and help you understand how to live in my love and love your brother well. But you're at a critical moment. And if you allow it, sin will have its way with you. Unfortunately, in Cain's instance, he gets his eyes off of what love really is. And so he's looking at himself. Woe is me. I've been rejected. He's looking at his brother. It's his fault making me look this bad. This extreme story and where it leads illustrates where sin ultimately leads. Both Proverbs 14.12 and 16.25 say the same thing. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Cain felt justified in himself. Even so much so to say to the God who could see everything after he killed his brother and God shows up and says, where's your brother? To be able to say, am I my brother's keeper? He felt so justified in himself that he would draw this huge barrier between him and the Lord. He's lying even to himself. This is what sin does. Listen, real love sacrifices self for the sake of others. That's real love. I love the way Dallas Willard put it. Love is willing the good of another. False love sacrifices others for the sake of self. Now, we would never say it that way. We just might use other people to satisfy ourselves. We might use relationships and other people to feel better about ourselves or to get some form of satisfaction. That is, that is false love. It's not real. Real love sacrifices others ahead of self. Now, the good news for us is that God is the one who ultimately does this. He does this. In fact, we can't in and of ourselves he does it. This, this is what makes the gospel such good news. We are broken people in need of love, and we know that we should give it, and we definitely know that we want to receive it. But man, sin gets in the way, and it causes us to view love through the lens of what am I getting out of this instead of sacrificially the way God sees love, which is I love by preferring others ahead of myself. And so Jesus comes along and says, listen, I'm gonna do for you what you could never do for yourself. I love you so much, I'm gonna love you the, with the ultimate sacrifice. I'm gonna deal with what sin leads to 
that way that seems right to you that leads to death, it does lead to death. That's true. It does lead to destruction. That's true. But I'm going to deal with it. And so ultimately, fully, Jesus has paid the ultimate sacrifice. He's loved us to the last, the scripture says. Loved us to the very end. I mean, even the night he's being betrayed, he's washing his disciples' feet. Why? To remind them of what love is all about. Now, with that in mind, let's let's see how the Father wants to love us and help us learn how to love. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. After reflecting on all these folks who've faithfully followed him, and yet many of them have fallen short along the way, all of them did to some degree, many of them didn't see the ultimate promise fulfilled, but, but these, these folks in Hebrews 11 are folks who've remained faithful to the Lord. And so in light of that, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, he now starts talking to us about who we are and our relationship with him, and what he's inviting us into. And he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You know, I've read this verse a lot, and often, I've even taught this, and I don't think it's entirely wrong, but I've talked about enduring in our race and talk about the hard things that we face, like life circumstances that are difficult, hardships that we go through. But what is he saying is the real thing we're enduring? Our personal battle with sin. The the real race that we're running is dealing with the sin which clings so closely. That crouching animal that wants to sink its teeth in, sink its claws in. So how do we do that? How do we run this race? How do we lay aside the weight? How do we deal with this sin that clings so closely? We look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, there's that word again, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. What did Cain do in his journey with, with sin? He shed the blood of another. What is God telling us it's going to look like for us to deal with our sin? It's going to cost us something. It's going to hurt a little bit. But he reminds us of ultimate truth. Because this is so important in our Christian walks with the Lord to realize this vital truth. Jesus has fully and completely paid for our sin. He's dealt with guilt, shame. He's dealt with the ultimate consequences of death. He's invited us into the family of God. He's reconciled us in right relationship with God. And he's showing us how to be reconciled to each other. This is the work that Jesus has done. He's paved the way for all of that. He's made the ultimate sacrifice. But listen, part of the gospel message is that we have been invited into a family and we're now called to learn how to live in that family. His sacrifice is the ultimate sacrifice. 
But we are called to learn how to love, and it's going to be sacrificial. I'm not earning forgiveness from sin. I'm not earning my way into the family. I'm learning from the family I've been brought into how to love, how to abide there, how to live in that house, how to enjoy the rich rewards that this family offers. Y'all see this? Can we separate the difference between getting caught up in legalistic earning and realizing that God wants to invite us into the way of love? And that way of love is good for us. And it produces joy in our lives. But he's honest with us enough to say it's still gonna hurt. You might bleed a little. There might be a little bit of surgery that needs to be done. There's some things that gotta go but it's for your good. It's for your benefit. And so what does he say? He, he builds right from this and continues into how he fathers us. Um, chapter 12 still, verse 5 now. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons and daughters? My son, my daughter, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. If you're anything like me, you don't like hearing words like sacrifice, obedience, and discipline. I am not a big fan of those words. Not a big fan of that process. The reality is we, we miss the richness of what is offered in sacrifice, in obedience, in discipline, because we misunderstand them. God is saying words like sacrifice, obedience, and discipline, those are words of love. And if you can hear them as words of love and recognize them as words of love, listen, it's a true son whose dad loves him enough to say, son, I'm going to keep you from yourself. I'm going to rescue you from harm. There's a reason I don't let my two-year-old help me cook at the stove. Their hand's going to go right into the fire. And I'm not just going to stand there and lovingly say, oh, it's okay. Hopefully you'll be okay there. I, I can't quite muster up the word. No! <laughs> no! I don't sit down and explain to them gently about what's going to happen to their little two-year-old hand if they put in the flame because they don't get it yet. I do the loving thing and say, no, and pull them back from the flame so they don't get burned. Our God loves us enough to say, I'm going to come alongside and I'm going to teach you more and more how to hear my voice and follow me and obey me. And there's times where you get off track and I'm going to come alongside and correct you. And so there's going to be discipline. But listen, these are words of love because I'm teaching you how to live in my love. And I'm teaching you how to experience it in the world around you, how to receive it from me and to give it away. And it's sacrificial in nature. The Father's discipline in our lives, I, I, please hear this. The Father's discipline in our lives is always 
motivated by love. It's also always, parents, done in love. Boy, that's an area he's had to correct me a lot as a parent, where I can discipline out of things other than love. I can discipline out of, I'm really frustrated right now. I'm really tired right now. (laughs) Really embarrassed right now. But not him. He's not only motivated by love, he disciplines in love for the purpose of growing us in love. Love is what he equates to maturity. Love. I want to close with this. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? The famous love chapter. As Paul is kind of concluding his thoughts here and he's talked about things that we miss, that we prioritize as more important than love. And then he, then he reminds us, no, actually, those aren't more important than love. In fact, they are meaningless. Miraculous things, meaningless without love. All sound theological doctrine, meaningless without love. You can give away everything and help the poor, meaningless without love. Then he defines what love is, and then he wraps all this up, and he says, when I was a child, this is verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish things. He says, consider your childhood and your growth process into maturity. Now realize that's what God is doing with you. Verse 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Whether you've been walking with Jesus for five minutes or 50 years, there are things you don't know yet. (laughs) I think the people that said amen the most right there are some of the folks that I know have walked with Jesus the longest, right? We know that quickly, I hope. And so we recognize we don't see clearly. And so we need a loving father who is still fathering us. Now, some of us are being fathered kind of more in that like teenager phase in our spiritual life. Some of us are being fathered kind of in that two-year-old phase of life. Wherever we're at, we need a dad. And we need a dad who is, who is love and is motivated by love and her, who pursues us in love. And the way he's going to teach us this stuff is by being present. He says, then you'll fully know and you'll be fully known. We're going to learn love by being with him. But at times, that is going to mean that we are being corrected. Because there's a way that seems right to us, but God knows the heart. He knows the heart. So let's let him have ours and watch him care for them well, perfectly, even when it hurts, even when it bleeds a little, because he loves us enough to do that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. I'm going to close in prayer, and I want to I start the prayer by reading how love is defined in 1 Corinthians 13. So let's, let's pray. God, I thank you that this passage is both a description of love itself and it's a description of you because you are love. And so, God, we thank you that love is patient and kind.
It doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. God, even just reading that passage, I know for a fact there's some ways I've not been loving recently. But God, I thank you that you're not through with me yet. That you're patient and kind and that your love towards me never ends. And so God, I I pray that I would position myself, Lord, I pray for my friends here this morning, that we would position ourselves to learn how to love from you. God, that we'd, we'd stop getting wrapped up in what the culture wants to tell us love is. Yeah, let's look around. How well has our country figured out what love really looks like? God, why would we go to anyone else but you to learn real love? Jesus, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for what you endured for us because of joy. The joy that was set before you and the joy that you now invite us into. God, I I pray that we could recognize your activity in our lives as motivated by love. God, that even when you're correcting us, even when you're warning us or disciplining us, God, we would recognize it as an act of your love and that we are in the process of learning how to love like you. God, teach us to receive it from you. And Lord, teach us to love sacrificially, motivated by love for others instead of love for self. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen. Amen. Amen.